one of the ways that we talk about alcohol with our kids is using that framework of, is this permanent? Is it dangerous? Is it immoral? Or is it illegal? And if you can say whether it's alcohol or cheating on a test or you know whatever context that you're in, I want them to be able to go through those four words. Hmm, is this permanent, dangerous, immoral, or illegal? Hmm, if you could say yes to any one of those things, then you need to step away. Welcome to Ask Alice, a podcast that explores the issues and challenges teenagers face on a daily basis. Hosted by Alice Chernock, a licensed professional counselor in Birmingham, Alabama. Ask Alice is part of the Rooted family of podcasts, which also includes the Rooted Conference podcast, the Rooted Parent podcast, the Rooted Youth Ministry podcast, and Thanos to Theos. Rooted is a ministry that is focused on advancing grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated youth ministry. To learn more, visit rootedministry.com. Here's your host, Alice Chernock. Good morning, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Alice. Y'all, I'm super pumped about this episode today because I think that this is a topic that we all as parents are facing, and I see it so many times in my counseling office with adolescents, and it is alcohol. Now, I know that spring break is coming up, and we really wanted to tackle this topic before that that holiday, just because we know it's a big deal and it really tends to heighten around spring uh, around spring break. So I don't know. I don't know if y'all, I mean, think back, y'all, when you were in high school and think of the first time you were introduced to alcohol. And it may have been even earlier than high school. I say high school because I remember... The very first time I was offered anything was headed to a high school football game. And I am with a group of friends that were not my normal group of friends. And they pulled out some kind of crappy wine cooler. And they and I, I just remember y'all being so caught off guard. And I think that that's where a lot of our kids are, too, that, you know, some of them are introduced to it early and make the conscious decision. And then others are the ones that are just like, why? and had no idea that this was coming. So our guest today is phenomenal, y'all. She is so open and so bold about her own journey with alcoholism and recovery. I am so happy to be here with Suzanne Jones. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to chat about all of the things. <laughs> Me too, because I think that this is such a topic that we need to pay attention to. And I know, you know, for our podcast, we haven't done an episode on, on alcoholism yet. And it is such a predominant thing for our teenagers that we need to give this the due attention. And I know for you, I, I think I'm most excited to sit down with you because I know that you are a mom and you have such a passion for this topic. Um, and I know that you desire to to protect your own kids from having to go through what you went through, but then just to kind of be a light and a sounding board for all of us as parents to know how do we help our kids? You know, I know you and I've talked a little bit, so I know that your, your first taste of alcohol was when you were in high school, when you were a teenager. Yeah. 
but it wasn't really until you were about mid thirties that you realized, okay, I would call myself a functional alcoholic. Is that, yes. is that right? Yes. How did you get to the point? How did you know that you were to the point where you were in over your head? Um, well, I've had my first drink when I was 16 and I remember, uh, I struggled with AD, ADHD before it was kind of a well-known word. Yeah. Um, and was really, um, school was really hard. So I think when I had that first drink and my grandfather had been, um, had died of alcoholism, basically, wow. um, had left my father's family and just mm-hmm. anyways, that history I knew about. And I had my first drink when I was 16 and just felt, I love this feeling. Mm. So I think from the first drink, I kind of knew, I mean, my parents basically just said, you you know, they didn't drink. They had, we have alcoholism in our family. So I knew that much <laughs> and that was kind of, and it. that was about it. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that like, you know, drinking and the feeling that I had, um, it kind of, you know, I just was aware for sure mm. of, um, gosh, I really loved how that wine cooler made me feel. Yes. Um, it, so it was that, just that initial high that yes. it gave you. Sure. So instead of saying I probably shouldn't drink ever again, because I love this, mm-hmm. I told myself that I would never do drugs. <laughs> Oh, of course. <laughs> there's there's the logical brain. Yeah. So, you know, everybody has their own rules and that was my rule. I could never try drugs because I, I, I just, I don't know if I knew, but I just knew that I loved how I felt. Yeah. And um, so dabbling in it through high school, um, you know, I would say college, I was on the brink of alcoholism, um, definitely abused alcohol for uh-huh. sure. Um, you know, kind of got married, kind of, I got married. (laughs) (laughs) Usually it's one way or the other. (laughs) So got married, um, to my college sweetheart. We had a couple kids and, um, I definitely still abused it, but I was in a church that was really, um, shrouded with lots of grace. And I had grown up, you know, just kind of in a legalistic, um, culture. And, um, so anyways, there was a lot of drinking in our, the congregation. And, um, I thought, well, I can love Jesus and drink. Um, Mm -hmm. this is wonderful. So I kind of became, um, I was aware, I would say they call it the three A's and AA awareness, acceptance, and action. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say I moved through those very slowly, like 12 years, (laughs) you know, like aware, wow, I really love how this feels. And then accepting it probably mid twenties that it was bigger than me at some point. And just having little children and the being overwhelmed as a young mom and being in a culture that, you know, embraced drinking, grabbing a glass of wine when you were stressed or at a play date. Right. And I think that that's where a lot of our, our adolescents are too. You know, I mean, I know statistically speaking that, you know, while teenagers statistically don't drink as much or as often as adults do, we know that they, they tend to binge drink more than adults. And I think that that's the big concern too. You know, we, we consider a binge drink as having five or more beverages in one sitting. 
And I, I think we know too that 70% of our teenagers today have already had alcohol by the time they're 18. Like that's yeah. huge. And so I think that your story is definitely something that we can resonate with as somebody who was introduced to alcohol at a young age, had wonderful parents, had a loving Christian home, but knew just from that feeling, that high that it gave you. And I think that that's where we as parents have to be aware for our kids. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do with that? Yeah. So what, tell me this, what do you think drives our kids to drink or what drove you to drink? Um, I think insecurities wanting to fit in. Um, I do just having four kids of my own, Uh um, personality. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm an Enneagram seven. I love to have lots of fun. Um, and that was a good time, you know? Um, I think it's, I don't think it's one thing. I think it is a basket full of, you know, different things. And why do some kids drink and some kids don't? Yeah. I mean, truly in the same household with the same parents, um, you know, my sister towed the line and was very, um, godly and just, um, made all the right decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, and we were raised by the same parents. So I do a lot of, I I feel like a lot of it is genetic and just even watching my own children that more, you know, that struggle more with, um, the worldly draw, Uh you know, Uh, But I think coming back to what you initially said, I think that's one of the main things that I see with with adolescents in my office is just that desire to fit in. You know, I mean, I've never I've never met a teenager who was like, hey, I think I'll be lonely, you know, like it's (laughs) not going to happen, you know. And so I think that what I'm seeing, too, is that in groups of friends, if one or two of them decide that they're going to start drinking even if the others don't want to start drinking, those two sort of branch off and the rest of the group is just left. And so the 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 ones who are not drinking then have that choice to make of either I'm going to have plans on Friday night with my friends or I'm not going to drink. And those are kind of the two dichotomies that they're faced with. And I think that that's what's such a, a hard, scary mix is that I don't know that every kid who drinks really wants to drink, or at least they don't start out that way. It's that they just want to fit in, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, My daughter, you know, I know she has wanted to go to this place where people go and drink and it's because her friends are going and that doesn't mean they're drinking, but um, she has asked if she could go. So she's been open and honest with us and we have said yes, but just that pull to, well, this is where everyone's hanging out and right. most of them are drinking, you yeah. know? And so we have, I, I think each parent has to decide about where their kid is and what they feel comfortable with, but we have decided to let her go when yeah. she tells us and ask us and, um, Well, and I also think, you know, your kid, you know, and I think it goes to what you're saying about personality and genetics and that kind of thing that, you know, if, 
if our children are making wise decisions in life, then I think that it's wise as as parents for us to sort of reward them in that way. And, and not that our kids are not going to mess up because we're all going to mess up. Um, yeah. But I think it's, you know, letting them have that freedom and, and, you know, introducing them to scenarios, but also preparing them for it. You know? Absolutely. And I took a healing prayer class a while ago and it talked about um, it, it like mixed the Bible counseling and prayer. Mm. And it talked about um, children individualizing. And while they won't always make the best decisions, like they are trying to become their own person. Absolutely. And so I think that my family, my parents did not understand that and wanted to shelter and protect. And my personality made me more rebellious. Yes. (laughs) So we try to keep the conversation very open in our home, Um, you know, having boundaries, but like, you know, my daughter is saying, I want to go here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, what all goes down. Yeah. Um, But I, I, my friends are going, can I go, you know, and just trying to say, well, why do you really want to go? Just having a conversation about it. Yes, Having a conversation about it. And I tell kids too, in my office all the time, the more, open and honest you're going to be with your parents, the more information you're going to give them, the more freedom they're going to give you. Yes. Because to me, if my kid is going to come to me and say, Hey mom, I just want to be real with you. I know that this is going on and I want to go there. I'm going to be way more inclined to say yes. than if I find out later that you've snuck over there and didn't tell me, Cause yeah. that's going to be like a hard no, you know, we're going to have, well, to- and we have told our kids from the time they're little, we're only as sick as our secrets. Mm-hmm. So anything that you want to keep in, um, you know, just get it out, like bring it to the light, no matter what it is. And we can deal with anything, just not the secrecy. I think that's where addiction comes in is the secrecy, the shame, the lies, you know, and it just builds from there. So we're well, always and- I mean, yes, exactly. Because I think that that is the whole essence of the gospel, that sin is dark and it's, it's hidden and it's black. And I think that what Christ did was shine light onto those places. And so I think by doing exactly what you're saying and bringing the secrets to the life, you know, we are truly living out what Christ, the freedom that Christ has given us now to not have to be shameful and not have to be hidden anymore. Absolutely. Yes. I would say too, I think that there are kids who drink just truly as an escape. I mean, I I really do think that there are twice, two different people this past week have emailed me articles on the, the difficulties, the emotional state of our teenagers today. Absolutely. Difficult it is. And so I don't think that we can discount. I don't think we can just say, Oh, Everybody just wants to fit in. I mean, I do genuinely believe that there are teenagers out there who are drinking because they try to numb out, you know? Yes. Well, there's a scenario that um, I've been talking about with some friends who dabbling and, you know, if you have a child upstairs who is doing it alone in secret, um, that's a whole different ballgame. Like yeah. dabbling is... You know, I mean, I feel like what is the statistic? 70%, you know, yeah. like 
there's a lot of kids that dabble who don't become alcoholics. Right. So, oh, but this is so interesting. I, sorry, I totally interrupted you. I, I, so I found this, but talking about kids who become alcoholics, I found this other, another statistic that kids who drink before 15 years old are 40% more likely to become an alcoholic. Wow. As opposed to adults who wait until they're 21 years old to drink are only 7% more likely to become an alcoholic. I mean, girl, that is crazy. By waiting six years yeah. to drink, you're reducing the chances of becoming an alcoholic by 33%. That is nuts. That's a yeah. huge stat. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's driven by loneliness and just all the the heaviness our kids have on them for sure. Um, and we always say, "Hey, we can. We're happy to get you in counseling." You know, yeah. um, just the struggle and wanting to numb out. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I I told my sister, "You should be shocked if your kid doesn't want to." You know, like I mean, <laughs> right. I just, the world is heavy and it's a yeah. lot. You know, yeah. like we should not be surprised by sin. You know, it's just, um, it's just hard. I mean, as adults, you know, it is, um, much less the stuff that kids have today that we did not have growing up. Um, it's very different. All right. So you kind of touched on this, but I do want to come back to it. How do you talk to your own kids about alcohol? And do you think that it's ever too early for us to start this conversation with kids? What do you do? Um, I mean, we, you know, details and stuff age appropriate for sure. Agreed. Um, I got sober when I, my um, oldest was five and Mm -hmm. he's 19 now. The conversations we had then are very different than the conversations we have now, but it's never been a secret in our family. Um, You know, I, when they were little, like, Hey, mommy was enslaved to sin, just like the Bible, how they, you know, you hear these stories about the Israelites being enslaved and then God mm-hmm. set me free. And, um, you know, he's redeemed my life. And I remember being with a counselor being like, are our kids going to be okay? <laughs> you mm. know, like, yeah. and they were like, Hey, they will see the gospel firsthand, you know, and be much better off and understand it firsthand it by you sharing and living it out. Yeah. Um, so that gave me hope as I was getting into recovery and really kind of piecing my life back together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think we have always been very open, you know, and so kind of kept it vague in a sense when they mm-hmm. were little. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like, yeah, I don't drink, you know, I struggle with alcohol and it just wasn't good for me. And, I just don't need to touch it ever again. And then, you know, now my son's 19. So the conversations are much deeper. Totally agree. And um, yeah, I mean, real, I, I, you know, like this, I did this and I did that. And like the reality of what drinking can do to a person. Well, and I think you're taking the glamour away from it because I think a lot of what our, our teenagers see is that it's, it's, I think our teenagers have this impression that everybody drinks, you know, and it's just not true. And so really painting like what you're saying, painting the reality of the, it's just actually not as normal as you think that it is. It just feels big and it feels like it's everywhere. And I, I, yeah, I tell, you know, 
when I, as I work with parents, I've said this a million times and I'll say it again, but I tell parents in making some decisions, but I also say it to my kids too. There's sort of a framework that I feel like we have as a basis to make decisions for. So one of the ways that we talk about alcohol with our kids is using that framework of, is this permanent? Is it dangerous? Is it immoral or is it illegal? Permanent, dangerous, immoral or illegal. And if you can say whether it's alcohol or cheating on a test or, you know, whatever context that you're in, I want them to be able to go through those four words. Hmm, Is this permanent, dangerous, immoral or illegal? Hmm, If you could say yes to any one of those things, then you need to step away. Hey listeners, Davis Lacey here, podcast producer for Rooted, and I interrupt this podcast to tell you about Rooted's most recent offering, The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School. The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School is a book published in partnership with New Growth Press. It's a collection of 30 essays from 30 different authors. Writers such as Scott Sauls, Jen Pollock-Michelle, David Zoll, and Sandra McCracken reflect on their teenage years and write about how if they would have known Jesus then, like they know him now, their high school years would have been filled with hope, freedom, and forgiveness, more so than they could have ever imagined. Students can utilize the Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School as a devotional. They can read it like any other book, or this would be a great resource for youth ministry small groups. You can order a copy of The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School for the Teenager in Your Life, available now wherever books are sold. I want them to be able to go through those four words. Hmm, is this permanent, dangerous, immoral, or illegal? Hmm, if you could say yes to any one of those things, then you need to step away. You need to Absolutely. think twice about this. Yeah. And I've heard to like, think of it because... Um, the teenage brain, I think, only thinks in 15 seconds. Like, yeah, heard, girl, yeah, like, you know, oh. I'm all into brain stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, so if anything hasn't happened in the last, you know, they just can't get the consequences. Exactly. And so I've heard, um, think how this will affect me if I make this decision in 10 minutes. Yeah. In um, 10 hours and then in 10 years. Like, Cause I think you don't, I mean, I certainly didn't play the videotape out and I thought, well, I'm just dabbling and I'm a believer and I'll turn the ship around. I mean, I'm going to get married, have kids, you know, the ship yeah. turned around, but it was a long time, right. you know, like, Hey, like, you know, especially if you see those addict tendencies in your child, like definitely, I mean, we, we have, in our family, one that we definitely talk to a whole lot more about it because he is prone to be drawn to those types of things. And he knows it, you know, like, right. Do you think you have have addict tendencies? The way you drink that Dr. Pepper, you know, is not how your siblings drink that Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And it's like, totally mom, you know, so I I think it's such a good observation too to look at other the ways they're handling other things in their lives, whether it's a Dr. Pepper or a video game or whatever it is. You're so wise. That's a great point. Yeah, just the um, I mean, 
but yeah, one child we have just wants to feel better. And he would tell you that sitting here in front of me, you yeah. know, like, yeah, he chases feeling better, whether mm-hmm. that is. And I mean, it started when he was in seventh grade, couldn't drive. He'd gather his change and walk to the gas station and buy a Dr. Pepper yeah. and drink the Dr. Pepper, you know, all of it. Oh, wow. Where my next two, they don't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, um, you know, so I think having discussions with him and we do, I mean, he's in college. We have them regularly. Yes. Um, just, and he tells us things that are sometimes hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just say, you know, what, what do you need us to do? And just, he called me actually on Sunday and said, you know, mom, I really think, cause you know, I feel like he just has those tendencies that uh-huh. matter. Right. That don't have and he called me and said I've just really think I've been trying to fill the void Hmm. with um, other things like he even went to visit his friends at another college and he thought and I thought that would be the like token for me not to feel so lonely and it didn't help and he was like I really just feel like the void is God but like he has struggled to get there you know like it hasn't I just think go mama that you have instilled in him the language to be able to identify and truly i mean we give we give god the the glory but truly you have laid the foundation in y'all's relationship of this was not just a one time starter conversation of don't drink you know Absolutely. because i think that, that would not have lended itself to the whole conversation that y'all are able to have now it's just so much richer and deeper yeah. And I think parents can't think of it as a straight line. Like there are going to be struggles that may not make you happy with some of your children, Mm -hmm. you know, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean. And I think I was thinking about this and praying like, and the Lord brought to mind shame. Like Mm -hmm. I think shame drives so much um, addiction and so much just continuing sin over and over, no matter even if it's drinking or whatever, but just the shame of it. And just as a kid being able to be like, I messed up, but that doesn't mean I can't move forward and change my decisions from here. You know, like just offering your kids that second, you know, like, yeah, we're not happy with you. And there are boundaries and there are consequences. Yes. But you, you have, today's a new day, you know, like totally agree. just that um, freedom, I guess, like, it doesn't take away sin, but it it allows them to struggle well, maybe. That, and I mean, I go back to, you know, all the public service announcements that we've always grown up with on alcohol and, you know, the guy drinking and he opens his car door and all the water falls out <laughs> and there's like light sirens and, you know, like those public service announcements, let's be real, they don't work. Yeah. Right. And here's why, in my opinion, humble opinion. I don't think they work because public service announcements and a lot of the messages that we are sending our kids are about law. It's follow the law. And we are not bound by law anymore. And I think that that's where having our, our, our Lord and Savior who has died for us to bring grace into a situation is a game changer because- If it's up to us to abide by every law, we will fail. 
And so we needed a savior to come in and do that for us. And so I think that the same is true for our kids. We can't just say, don't drink because it's against the law. Yes, it is. It's illegal. It's illegal to drink underage. So there is that. But grace, you know, but when you fail, because you will, as I will, but when you fail, let's talk about that conversation and how forgiven you are. And that doesn't, like you said, take away the consequences because yeah. there are very real consequences to it. Mm-hmm. But it it changes just the whole nature and the understanding of it. it. Instead of being adversaries, we're finally able to be allies. And yeah. I think that's our goal with our kids is to, to be their ally. Yes. There's a counselor in town who... Um, puts up in his conferences pictures and one is a old lady um, freaking out. And then the next is a bird with its head in the sand. And he's like, there are typically two responses to sin um, and to finding things out. And these are the two. And I think just as parents, you do want to do one of the two because it's hard stuff sometimes. So, you know, just is staying calm and having those conversations and our kids know, Hey, you're individualizing, you're starting to make your own decisions. We can advise you. I think as parents, you become advisors, you know, yes, as instead of like hovering parents. And if you choose to, to do this, then, you know, you may have to pay for your car insurance. If you choose to continue to do it, you may have to pay for your phone, you know, like you, you have decisions you have to make. We can't, I can't be at college with my kid, you know, like, Well, and I think even in high school, I mean, I think one of the things that I see is a consequence is just the change in reputation. Yes. I mean, I'm so sorry, but your choices will affect your reputation. And so, I mean, I know wonderful kids who have godly parents and their, their kids have struggled with alcohol. And because of that, there are other people, whether it's you know, old friends or whoever it is who have said, I'm not going to be around you anymore. You know, yeah. I don't want my reputation to be rubbed off because absolutely. You know? And so I think just the consequences piece is big. Yeah. What are some warning signs that, that you would say that you would look for, whether it was for yourself, what, are, what were some warning signs? And then I want to talk about some ones that we can look for in kids too. The secrecy, lying. Yeah. Um, that is a big red flag to me. Alcohol, whatever it is, you know, just like the not being honest, um, I guess, is one of the biggest red flags for me. Yeah. And yeah. being upfront and, and talking about your struggles or shutting down, you know, like not being willing to talk about it. And you may need to find them a counselor who mm-hmm. they can share with, you know, Agreed. Agreed. I just feel like kids are also complicated. I mean, we're all made so differently. You know, I have four kids. They are all extremely different. One will tell us everything. And then the other, we have to pry it, you yes. know, a yeah. little more. So, um, secrecy is really our big, um, you know, hill we die on. Like mm-hmm. we can handle anything, but just, mm-hmm don't, don't lie to us or don't hide stuff from us. You know, Mm -hmm. like there will be consequences, but they'll be much bigger if we find out. Right. Um, So I, I agree with all of those things too. I think, 
I would also add a little bit more in the tangible pieces, just change when, when I'm seeing changes in kids, whether it's a change in friend groups or a change in grades or um, a change in not, not showing up to, you know, baseball practice or soccer practice or, you know, changing in the clubs or, you know, those kind of things to me, that's where I say, and whether it's with alcohol or just kind of big picture, when we notice changes happening in our kids, I think that's something that we pay attention to. Absolutely. I think too, I've, I've also told parents, you know, I think when a kid walks through the door and they immediately are beelining it to their bedroom, Absolutely. <laughs> wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> that might be something we want to pay attention to, you know, yes. or, you know, the kid who wants to spend the night out every weekend and they're never home. Now I get it again, personality. There's some kids who just love to be out and have a great group of friends and all that, but there's some things. Absolutely. I spend the night out a lot. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. Yes. All right. So I want us to think through some practical stuff of what are some excuses that we can give our kids? Because I think that another thing that we can do as parents is help sort of role play with our kids so that when they are in that situation, not if, but when they are in the situation and they are being faced with, here's a drink, or do you want to drink or, you know, whatever that conversation is, what are some ways that we can help them get out of it and sort of face face? Um, I mean, I've, I have read or heard somewhere, um, and we've told our kids this, like a certain word or emoji or something like just a text, like not in detail, but you know, just something that you all know, like a code word and just say, you know, I, we need to, you need to come home, you know, we need you home. Something happened or. That's a great idea. I hadn't thought about the emoji. Just sending like a crazy emoji three times or something. (laughs) Wow. That's a great idea. Yeah. Like a green heart or something. Yeah. Like I I just, yeah. So just like a small, like this is a symbol. If you're in trouble, text us that and we will, it will call you and say, we need you to come home. There's been a family emergency or whatever you come up with to say. I love it. I think another one, I encourage parents, whether or not you're really genuinely concerned about your kids drinking, every parent needs to own a breathalyzer Yeah, because it is the best excuse for a kid that when they're faced in the situation, if they can say, I can't drink, my parents will kill me. And I know that they have a breathalyzer. They've told me they'll use it. I can't afford that. Yes. And so go on. And I mean, I tell my kids, blame me for everything. Yeah. You're welcome to blame me, you know? And, and so- we have, we have drug tests. Yeah. And we just said, you know, when everyone goes to high school, we have drug tests in our bathroom drawer and we will randomly drug test all of you because that's just what we're going to do. And um, another mom who had addiction in her family, just said, that's what we, that's the plan we came up with. And that's what we do is just say, we're randomly drug test everyone in this family when they get to high school, <laughs> whether yeah. you're a good kid or bad kid, we're not yes. like, it's just what we do to keep you safe. Um, 
and to give you an excuse to say no. I mean, I think in eighth grade, my son was, you know, offered pot brownies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I have an addictive personality. Oh my gosh. See, but that's great. Like he had the light. I got a pass. (laughs) Because I'm in eighth grade. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, Like you gave him the language to be able to say, no, I can't, you know, or, I mean, I think even for kids to be like, no, I'm driving tonight. I'm the driver. So I can't drink or. That was my son. I feel like he was he always was like, I'm the driver, mom. It just helps me. And, you know, but I have heard, um, a friend did who has a a child my age and I have, I did not think about this, but she was, she was saying you have to be careful when they are driving because if those kids have alcohol in their car and they get pulled over, your kid will go to jail. Like, because there's open containers. And I said, well, I've never thought about that. Yeah. yeah, you know, like if they are underage, if they have beer, like yeah. we'll go to jail. So, you know, she's like, all she, her, she, they told their son, just call them an Uber. Like, you know, yeah. like if you can call them an Uber. So I think everybody has their different, you know, what totally they agree. I had never thought of that, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. well, my son does drive people and, uh-huh. you know, like, hey, FYI, you know. So just having those kind of conversations with our kids to help them think through. I mean, as an adult, that hadn't even dawned on me. I guarantee you that's not going to be dawning on my 17 year old son. You know, that's so even if he is sober, if he has alcohol in his car or their car. Great to know. Yes. I remember, too, when I was in college and I didn't want to drink. I always felt weird just not having something in my hand, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I always encourage kids too. you know, my, my sweet dad, my, my sweet old dad, every time I would head off to college would take me to Costco and we would, you know, buy up all the stuff. And I would always buy a giant box of blow pops because you can have a blow pop in your hand and it's something to hold. It doesn't feel like you're just nothing to do with your hands But it also is like, yeah, I don't want that. I'm good. I got this, you know, I'm, you know, and so it gives, I think kids an alternative to, you know, just be in there empty handed. Yes. Um, And I was asking my husband before this too, like, what would you say? You know, like, what are your thoughts? And he, he basically said, just keep the conversation going, you know, like just a running conversation about it. And I don't think it like guarantees you that your kids won't dabble in it um, no, not at all but it, it it can take out the secrecy and the shame and the um and get them help I mean some kids just need to go to counselors some kids yes. need medication yeah I mean it is you know a lot of kids I think I self-medicated you know like I I felt very depressed as a 22 year old but my mom's mom had um, been highly medicated and she didn't want to do that. So just, Oh, it talk to professionals, <laughs> you know, exactly. like if you feel like your kid is struggling, chasing, you know, something to feel better. Yep. Yep. You I know? totally agree. I totally agree. I think that's so good. Um, all right. So let's wrap this up okay. and just kind of overarching themes. So for the kid who is drinking in order to fit in, 
what is the what's the hope that we give them? What's the the gospel truth that we can provide for that kid? Um, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about this because you had asked me. I and I really, I mean, that they are like uniquely made and to maybe give them another purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think I felt really lost and I didn't make good grades. Mm-hmm. Um, I just struggled. And that was kind of, I was the fun girl, you know, like yeah. the party girl. Um, but maybe just like a bigger purpose and talk to them and have conversations about, you know, what is your purpose and who you are in Christ? You know, I think it's good. You picked up on your, I mean, I heard you talk about your identity and it sounds like your identity was to be the fun girl. Oh, absolutely. And so I think understanding the labels that have been put on our kids, whether they wanted them or not. I mean, it sounds to me like party girl was your label or fun girl was your label, you know, Mm -hmm. and helping our kids establish other, other labels. Yeah. And get them involved in something, you know, like creativity I don't that wasn't really an option I mean our world is so different now the um but yeah I was a creative spirit and had nothing to do with Mm -hmm. no outlet for that you know it just wasn't offered to me um yeah I, I think too just normalizing for our teenagers that you're supposed to want to fit in Yeah, that's normal. I think that God made us to desire community and to desire intimacy and vulnerability and all of that stuff that those are God given gifts. And when you don't feel those things, there's a loss there. Yes. And so I think helping our kids sort of grieve if they are feeling that loss, you know, but then also validating their, their need for connection and saying, you know, that that's a good thing. You're supposed to want that, yeah. but it's, how are we, how are we going to get those needs met if it's not, you know, in this context or maybe with this group of friends, let's come up with some other ideas. And maybe it means as parents, we have to be okay with, you know, being home and watching Netflix with our kids on Friday yeah. nights and, you know, helping them sort of foster that bridge until they're right. able to establish some new relationships. Yeah, totally. All right. What about the kid who drinks to escape um, that we can give them? Definitely um, open conversation yeah. and a counselor. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Counselor. Agreed. Um, just someone else. I mean, I think it's so important to have healthy, sober-minded parents to talk through that stuff with your child, but really um, getting them into um, see a counselor who they can tell everything to, you know, I mean, they may not want to, we may know the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And that probably is the case. Um, You know, I mean, there's probably a lot that a counselor could pull out of them um, in a safe place and know the right questions to ask. Mm -hmm. Um. And then, you know, that I would say counseling would be my next step for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Navigate it on your own, like ask for help. Show your kid that's okay to ask for help. Like, hey, this is big, you know, like we, it is not like not shaming them for feel wanting to feel better, you know, like 
let's let's get you some help. And maybe the counselor thinks they need maybe some medications if they're self-medicating. Right. You know, I think I was self-medicating a lot. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's not a one one answer. <laughs> I think I agree can, with you. And you know, I mean, a youth pastor, you know, just yeah. I, I um, my son's young life leader has been pivotal mm-hmm. in his life. Wow. In so many ways, um, spiritually, but he would, they, when he was struggling, he'd just come over and they would walk the neighborhood, mm. um, and talk about life. And he was his safe place. Wow. So just, you know, and we didn't need to know all the things. Um, so he wasn't even a professional. We didn't have to pay him, you know, but like, he loved kids and he loved Jesus. He loved your kid, you know, and he loved your kid. Yes. Yes. That's huge. Yes. So it doesn't even have to be a paid professional. If you're not ready to go that route, call their youth pastor. I mean, that's what they're there for, you know, call their young life leader. Like, Hey, my kid's struggling. Just, I think just talking, getting it out, talking about it, especially if they are feelers Mm -hmm. and chasing things to feel better. Yeah. I agree. And I think just getting underneath the surface, it's not about, I really encourage parents don't get hung up on alcohol or just the drinking or whatever the thing is, whether it's an eating disorder or whatever, it's not about that. It's about what's driving that and what's underneath that. So we can miss the whole big picture by getting just caught up in the weeds of, oh my gosh, my God, my kid drinks, you know? Yes. Well, not- I, when I first got into AA, I remember some guy saying, um, I came into AA thinking I had a drinking problem, but I realized I had a thinking problem. Oh, wow. Like, oh no, I have a drinking problem. <laughs> but as the months, days and months went by, I'm like, no, I have a thinking problem, you oh. know, which causes me to want to drink. And once you can get, those things in order, the desire for whatever dysfunctional behavior you're having subsides you pretty much, you know, when you get into recovery, but as kids, like, yeah, I think, Hey, you're choosing this because you're thinking wrong or you're chasing something like it is. Yeah. It is much more than a beer or two. It It totally is. Well, and I think, I mean, uh, I'm going to end on this, but just thinking through helping our kids see it genuinely affects your brain. You know, I mean, we know that's what alcohol, alcohol releases dopamine. And when we need serotonin, when we need dopamine, we need all of those hormones that feel good. So if we're lacking in those things in life, absolutely. And that's a natural, of course, you're going to want to drink, you know, this is kind of a no brainer. We're built to want to survive and thrive. Absolutely. So helping them normalize this and and see, you know, you're, I love how you brought in the shame piece and not shaming our kid because we, yeah, of course they're going to want to, to drink. Yes. how are we going to help nurture that desire in a healthy way and not an unhealthy coping skill? Yeah. And even like showing them, you know, I may not drink to try to escape my feelings, but I go shopping or I eat sugar. Yeah. Like yeah. we are all wanting Christ. I mean, really we're a broken sister that is leaking and trying to fill it up. is just 
not going to work with other stuff, but we all do that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Suzanne, you're such a gem. Thank you so much Thanks for joining for us today. Us. I really, really appreciate you being here. And y'all, if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please be a rock star for me and head over to Apple Podcasts where you can follow us and leave a review. Um, be sure to join us next time for another episode of Ask Alice. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ask Alice with Alice Chernock. If you found this podcast helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music on this podcast. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes only, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or of the counseling profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.